Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Hello, welcome to the Ghosts of Harren Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 117 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter 43 of A Clash of Kings, that's John 5. And as always, we're going to chat about the chapter. We're going to try not to spoil any future plot points for you. Hopefully we'll provide you with some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes. They'll provide some additional information about the characters and places in this chapter. How are you, McKelly? I'm doing all right. I'm oddly uh, awake for the time of morning. Yes, you're you're going to say it the American way, that we've had daylight savings. Yes. uh, or we fell back, as we say. Yes, yes. Yes, you see, in order to do that, you have to call autumn fall. Oh, right. So you can't autumn back thing. very well. Yes, exactly. It doesn't that doesn't make a lot same, of sense yeah. to anyone, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and actually, it's weird because, obviously, I, I talked to I talk to Europe quite a lot, and they went a week earlier. So oh. the, time cha- the time difference has been out of whack for a week. Oh, okay. I did not know that. But we're... Even with back uh, on the, same schedule now. the European writers on my team, I did not. Uh... Yeah, you've been bothering them in the middle of the night. All week. <laughs> you, you didn't know. You, you know how hard I push them. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, when you proposed this uh, early morning time, I thought, oh boy, I hope I'm up and awake, or else uh, I'm going to be uh, sleepwalking through this. But I've been up for several hours now. I factored that in. Yes, I knew it was coming. <laughs> what have I got for you? Uh, what have you got for me? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, you got your family call coming I, up in a little bit here. I'm going to talk to the family. Uh, uh, I'm excited by the fact that we've got merchandise. I know we're going to talk about that later, but that that's really exciting to me that we've got a merch shop. It is. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, already, I mean, like it's barely known, and already we're getting to the point where we're almost covering our costs. <laughs> right. We might we might start to break even at some point on this whole as of shebang. As of this moment, the episode where we announce the uh merch shop has not even released yet, so I know. That's tomorrow. Merch just <laughs> flying out the doors without anyone knowing about it. And just in time for the holidays. Yeah. Uh I was I was telling people on the Discord server that I wasn't really looking forward to this chapter, but then you sort of reassured me that it was not such a long one. Right. It's like seven pages. I'm, I'm kind or of I'm disenchanted with John generally. <laughs> you know But I, but but I tell you well one thing I will tell you, and I'll get to this when I get to the T V thing. This particular chapter creates a reason for all this right. that doesn't exist in the T V show, which I I because I read the books before I watched the T V show my memory of the books is the TV show. Right, sure. Yeah. So rereading them, I'm sort of like, oh, I'd forgotten about this, you know. And, and and of course, the TV show has to cut some corners, understandably. Sure. But this is an important corner for John's story arc, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it gives it purpose, yeah. which is a, a complaint that a lot of the folks on the ranging have. What is the purpose? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, they should be reading the book, not watching the TV show, if you ask me. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, Molly uh, just finished her uh, play last night. Last oh, yeah. what show. What was the play again? It was, uh, and then there were none, which is an Agatha Christie, uh-huh. a story set in 1939. So she played a okay. a um, middle aged spinster, and she did okay. played it quite well. In fact, she comes out. So yesterday, Ethan came to the show. Stacy and I have been to all the shows, but Ethan was only coming to one. So he came to last night's show. And have you have you figured out who's done it by now? <laughs> <I have. laughs> uh, she uh, she comes out like she makes her appearance on stage, and she you know she does her conversations and everything, and then she leaves off stage to go to her room because they're at this like bed and breakfast type thing. And I said to Ethan, I was like, "What'd you think?" And he's like, "When's Molly gonna come on?" <laughs> That was her. <laughs> she's a chameleon. <laughs> the reason is because she's dressed with like this gray wig. She has a like gray hair wig and this old lady clothes. And <laughs> he had no idea that that was his sister on stage. <laughs> her own brother doesn't recognize her. In fact, That's... she looks on stage a lot like my paternal grandmother. Like when I uh, well. first saw her, I was like, "Wow, that looks like my grandmother." <laughs> That's, I mean, that's that's weird, but not entirely surprising. I guess I mean. so. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was. Oh, uh, that's funny. Yeah, it was quite. She should be really proud of that, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, and Stacy's mom was sitting on the other side of Stacy. It went me, Ethan, Stacy, her mom, and then Stacy's cousin and Stacy's aunt. There was a whole bunch of us there last night, and Stacy's mom sitting on the other side of her, and said the same thing, uh, like. A few minutes later, like, when's Molly going to make her appearance? Oh, <laughs> She's man. like, that was her. <laughs> so <laughs> she should she should come on and like lift her wig. It's me, everybody. <laughs> props to the uh, to the uh, wardrobe and makeup staff. That's no, it. that's the acting. Yes, that's the acting. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Anyway, all right, let's get down to business. How did we leave Jon Snow? So last we saw of John, he and the rest of the Great Ranging arrived at the Fist of the First Men. That night, Ghost led John to a buried cache of dragonglass and an old war horn wrapped in the cloak of a brother of the Night's Watch. McKelly, why don't we give the summary of this one? That that does sum up that chapter. It was basically two sentences oh, long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't sum it up. That was the chapter. I just reread it. <laughs> All right. So John is awoken by a horn blast from a sentry. Possibly. Fear grips the men of the Night's Watch collective hearts momentarily as they wait to hear if a second blast will follow. None does, so instead a collective sigh goes out. Seems their brothers from the Shadow Tower have finally arrived, and not a moment too soon. Lord Commander Mormont pokes his head out of his tent and tells John he'll see Corrin Halfhand at once. The Shadow Tower men are late with their arrival, and opinions on what to do have been in strong supply around the Fist of the First Men. Some believe it's time to head back to Castle Black, Simon and McKelly amongst them. <laughs> Others felt that they should have made their way to the Shadow Tower to look for Corrin Halfhand and the rest of the Shadow Tower men. While another opinion is that they should push on into the Frostfangs and do battle with Mance Raider's force without the men from the Shadow Tower. As the arriving men make their way to the summit of the Fist of the First Men, John notices that his Shadow Tower brothers are looking worse for the wear. Some appear to be injured, and many are riding two to a horse. He identifies Corrin Halfhand immediately, and it's not just the hand that gives him away. 
The feeling is mutual as the half-hand identifies John while swinging out of his saddle. Seems John has his father's look, as we already knew, and the half-hand knew both Eddard and his own father, Rickard. The half-hand is curious about the direwolf that is said to run with John. John says that Ghost is off hunting, but will be back by dawn. The pair meet Lord Commander Mormont, and Corin relays the news regarding why they were late. Seems they'd had a run-in with Alfin Crowkiller and his men. Alfin is a wildling raider known for his bloody ways with Rangers of the Night's Watch. Alfin was killed, along with many of his men, but a few of them might have escaped to report back to Mance Raider. Unfortunately, four brothers were killed, and a dozen are injured. Corin and his men also managed to take a wildling hostage. Well, one that survived for a while, anyway. The hostage told them that Mance has an army larger than the Night's Watch could have imagined, that includes wargs and mammoths. However, these revelations were given under much duress, so their accuracy is questionable. John leaves the men to help Dollar's Ed prepare food for them. While listening to Ed's usual Dollar's musings, John's mind drifts to his hope that the arrival of the Shadow Tower men would lift the spirits of the rest of the men. Morale has been low. Just last night, John overheard Chet. Lock, the sister man, and a handful of others talking about not going into the frost fangs after Mance's army and not giving the Lord Commander a choice about it. Rather than report it, John chalked it up to nothing more than empty talk. While Ed cooks, John takes out his new dragonglass dagger. He's taken one of the blades from the cache ghost showed him and fashioned a rough handle to it. He made one for the Lord Commander as well. He gave Sam the war horn, which turned out to be cracked and broken, along with a spearhead and a bunch of arrowheads. He passed the rest out to his other friends as tokens of luck. John brings the food to the Lord Commander in the half-hand. He then sits to listen to their conversation. Mormont wants to notify the king, well, all of the kings, about the wildling army. Any king that will listen and help will do. Corrin thinks the Starks rallying the north is the smarter bet. The Lord Commander also considers manning a few of the abandoned castles along the wall to keep an eye on the wildling activity. He figures they'll try to go under, as going over the wall will be too difficult. Corrin says a breach is more likely. This catches Mormont by surprise. How is that even possible? It'd take a hundred men a year to cut through the wall. Corrin thinks that's why Mance has gathered in the Frostfangs. They're searching for something magical that'll help them get through it. Unfortunately, their captive died before he could shed any light on that subject. Corin says that the only way to know for sure is to send three 15-man scouting parties into the Frostfangs, one into each of the passes in and out of the mountains. The half-hand's thought is that someone's coming out of those mountains, one way or the other. If it's Mance, he'll have to fight Mormont and the rest of the brothers before he can get to the wall. That will give the brothers south of the wall time to prepare for what's coming. Mormont isn't thrilled about the idea, but he concedes to it. He tells Corrin to choose his men. His first pick is John. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I'm glad Corin Harfan's here. He makes things a bit more interesting. Sure. Yeah, seems like a very interesting guy. Yep. Uh, so the the initial horn blast, although this is going to be my chief pedantry of the chapter, the, the initial <laughs> horn blast <laughs> does get the chapter off to a rousing start because it is sort of dramatic moment. Like one blast means uh, rain, uh, members of the Night's Watch are coming. Two blasts means wildlings. So right. as you wait after that first blast, uh, the difference is pretty night and day between those two things yes that is and three blasts means others so right. if it got to two blasts then you'd have to wait even with more on pins and needles yes. <laughs> <laughs> you hope it stops at one you really hope it stops <laughs> right at two. In, in fact May- two maybe, long blasts I mean, followed by a short one is a call to mount your horses oh interesting so. i did not know you had the whole horn blast semaphore down <laughs> those are all, all the way if there's more than that i don't know them those are the okay. four that i'm aware of <laughs> i do think that that's sort of like you know i mean you got to imagine that some of these members of the night's watch aren't in the best of health you know it, mu- it must be dangerous to have this system whereby news that the night's watch are arriving is halfway to news that you're under attack (laughs) (laughs) perhaps they should have like a sort of like a a trilling flute for the wildlings yes (laughs) different sounds (laughs) (laughs) and and i'm wondering the two long blasts followed by a short one which is the call to horses versus the others (laughs) is very subtle (laughs) here's my argument if i hear three blasts i'm getting on my horse anyway (laughs) Was that long or short? I don't care. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> See you on the south side of the wall, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> See if my horse can jump that thing. <laughs> oh. uh, so the Lord Commander's Lieutenant's opinions vary as as they've been waiting for the uh, Shadow Tower men for you know an increasingly uh, long period of time. They've right. started to have sort of opinions on what they ought to do. Um, of course, the only one who's, the only person whose opinion actually mattered was Lord Commander Mormont, and he wanted to wait a bit longer to see if Corin turned up. Right. Which, yeah. lo and behold, he did. But in the meantime, Sir Ottin Withers, who, um, he, John's talked to him a few times, he's an old knight, he's been commanding the rear guard on this ranging, yeah? He thinks... Uh, we're Team Ottin Withers. They should go back to Castle Black as soon as possible and prepare for the the attack that's coming. Yeah, it, there's definitely some common sense to that. I mean, you could chalk this up to a team building exercise. You've you've discovered significant <laughs> amounts of information on this rating. You learned that Mance Raider is amassing the individual communities of wildlings into a single force in the Frostfangs. You now know this. You've also, from that, surmised that there's going to be a t- an attack on the wall to get to the other, the southern side of the wall. And, and that's been proved right by the info you've gotten from Corn Halfhand. So, right, right. And you've discovered that it's very cold north of the wall. <laughs> True. <laughs> and, and Craster isn't a very nice guy. I mean, really, that's a, that's a ton of useful information. Right. Now, right. time to get back to the wall. Yes. But uh, th- then Sir Malador Locke, he commands the, the baggage train. So, um, you know, if he decides to turn back, then you're really in trouble. <laughs> he, 
He suggests that they head toward the Shadow Tower and look for the Shadow Tower men because they're so late in arrival. Maybe they need help somewhere or, you know, there's a situation. Of course, this plan has been made moot by their arrival. There's no, no right. need to go look at them But actually, you could, you could have combined that with what Artin Withers was suggesting, you know, go back to Castle Black via the Shadow Tower. Sure. See yeah. if anyone was there. Uh, Thorin Smallwood, who is the acting First Ranger. I always think of The Office whenever I think of Thorin Smallwood. You know, he claims he's First Ranger <laughs> right. and then someone interjects acting. Assistant to the First Ranger. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you remember that um, Thorin Smallwood wanted command of this whole ranging. He thought that he should be in charge of this and thought Mormont should stay home. But <laughs> Mormont didn't really trust him as First Ranger. Yeah, he threw him out of his chambers. For Right. Yeah. And we also know that uh, Thorne Smallwood is a crony of Sir Alistair Thorne and is not a fan of John and Sam, which doesn't factor into his decisions here, but just some coloring of uh, Thorne and Smallwood. Yes, yes, yes. It's it's hard to be both a cro- both a crony of Thorne and a friend of John and Sam. I would say it would be it would be difficult. Exclusive. Yes. <laughs> not a lot of overlap between those two sets. You have conflict of interest there. So again, sort of, I think Thorne Smallwood wants to sort of prove himself, you know, as as acting uh, first commander, first ranger. Right. So he wants to take a smaller group off into the uh, Frostfangs to seek out Mance Raider. Yeah, uh, well, basically he wants to not bother to wait for the Shadow Tower men and just ride in force on the, uh, on the Mance Raider's yeah. uh, group up there. And, and and of course, I mean, his argument is that no matter how big the force is, it's elderly women, children, you know, there's not going to be that many. He describes it as a wolf amongst sheep. doesn't matter what the numbers are. Right. You're going to win. But there's clearly some wildlings who know what they're doing. And Mance Raider is clearly bringing a bit of uh, uh, discipline and structure to what they're doing as well. So, right. Might be a suicide mission, that one. And and you haven't done any scouting, so you don't know their location or the yeah. conditions of where they are. His line is, we'll sweep over them and send them howling back to their hovels. But it, if they're if they're up in the Frostfangs, sweeping over them might not really be an option if they're in a a location that doesn't allow for sweeping. You know, <laughs> it's a very mountainous region. There might not be uh, a situation where you can sweep in on them. And also, they're they're elevated, so you would imagine Mance Raider has some scouts out there. Right, exactly. He's uh, this is my point. He's bringing discipline. You know, yes, I mean, they would, right. They they would have a defensive structure set up against yeah. possible incursion from the Night's Watch. And you have to wonder if horses can even climb into the frost fangs to where they are you know if they're at some very elevated point you might not even be able to be on horseback <laughs> could imagine these scouts see them coming from like three days away, <laughs> they're trudging <Right>. slowly <laughs> you know what we don't have any defenses but i think we've got time to build some <laughs> and then we get this news from corin halfhand uh from the captive that they took that uh that there's wargs and mammoths and more strength than the Night's Watch could have dreamed, which is exactly why you don't just rush uh, headlong into this battle because you don't know what your force, what force you're up against yet. Yeah, and well, the the news comes from this hostage who was being, you know, 
prodded while he was dying. Um, so not ent entirely trustworthy. It does fit with what with what they've been learning on this ranging from Craster, for instance, that all the wildlings were being drawn together. Now, do they have any clue how many wildlings there are? No, not really. But right. they know it's going to be in the thousands. They know it's not going to be in the hundreds. So it's uh, it's going to be a large group. Yes, right, right, right. Yeah, and of course he is, you know, he is being uh, tortured to get this information. Right. And so possibly he's either over-exaggerating what they have just to try and... Assuming I'm going to die here, I'm going to scare these guys and uh, yeah. tell them that they've got... You know. Yeah, or, or go the other way. I mean, say, oh, you know what? It's it's pitiful. He's tried to draw them all together, but it's all the crippled and the lame. You know, it's, <laughs> you, you could take it easily, lure them to their death. You know? <laughs> that would be another option. Yeah, but but the poor guy was dying. So <laughs> right, like, let's, let's give him a let's give him a pass for not thinking tactically at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so okay, the Night's Watch are supposed to be the the good guys in in this part of the story here are we okay with them using torture to get info from wildlings i mean it it's already hard to argue why they forced these people to live outside the wall in the first place it's uh i don't know it, it it's it's certainly it, it it colors them a bit that they uh they're okay with torturing people to get info. It's a, it's a yeah. decision. I mean, we we don't know what happened. I mean, I'm, I'm not disagree disagreeing with you, but we don't know what happened. He he might have had a mortal wound that was definitely going to kill him, and they might have just said, you know, hey, we'll ease your passing if you cough up a bit of information kind of thing. Possibly. Although that's Corrin not what it sounded says like. he might have been questioned too sharply and died before we could get all the info we right. needed out of him. But uh, yeah, we don't. He did say they had more than one hostage, and this was the only one that didn't die of their wounds. So we don't know how badly he was already yeah. injured. But it's just kind of surprising from the good guys to be torturing people for information. But you know, I guess good guys depends on your perspective. Yeah. Um, so when the horn sounds, Sam asks if it's Benjen returning, which which actually makes a certain amount of sense. Although I, I would imagine Sam would be clued in enough to know that they were expecting Corin Harfan's men to arrive. But yeah, that that would have been a possibility, and I'm surprised it didn't just flicker in in John's heart as well that it might be. I was kind of too, and you know who else didn't even consider it was Mormont when he opened, poked his head out and said, "Was that one blast?" And John said, "Yeah," and he said, "It's the half hand." I'll see him at once he didn't even think is it the half hand or could it be benjamin stark maybe that goes to the character of the three people we just talked about sam is uh eternal optimist and uh you know sort of like right. whereas mormont and john are both kind of realistic and they both kind of abandon benjamin they both not abandon him but they think he's gone you know they're not expecting him back anytime soon yeah that's true and that's what John thinks in his head is it's getting harder each day to yeah. have hope that his uncle will return to them. How did Corin Harfan get his name? <laughs> well, it's an interesting story about the origin Why don't of the <laughs> half hand's nickname. So John recognizes him instantly, and it's not the half, just the half hand that uh, tips him off. And uh, so w what happened is that uh, 
he caught a wildling's axe that was aimed for his skull. And when he did so, it sheared off all but the forefinger and thumb of his right hand. So then he took that. That must have hurt. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Probably the adrenaline was flowing at that point. It didn't quite feel it yet. (laughs) Then he took that now maimed hand and shoved his bloody fist into the wildling's face. And the spurting blood blinded his foe. And then he killed him. So no wonder he's half a legend. (laughs) Uh, If he'd lost both hands, he might be a full legend. Well, true, yes, yes. Uh, so Corin inquired about John's dire wolf, you know, because as we said, Corin recognized John immediately. And uh, it was interesting that the news of that had reached him. So right. that kind of like, you know, John himself is partly legendary now in the Night's Watch. Absolutely, yeah. Two legendary figures precedes him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because you can imagine, I mean, you, you think of all the... All the uh, stories we've been hearing about Rob in the Riverlands, how he's a warg and how, you know, his he's got pack of wolves and all this. And you can imagine that stories of Jon Snow, the the bastard son of Eddard Stark, has a dire wolf that hunts with him. You know, that you can imagine that actually just being a legend and really he just has like a dire wolf shield or something like that. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? that's a good point. Yes. And and within the night's watch, you've got to imagine it doesn't take that much because there's not that much going on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy added some salt to the stew. He's a legend. <laughs> 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 it was really quite good. <laughs> so Corin tells Lord Commander Mormont that the, the, the delay in his arrival was due to them meeting this uh, Alfin Crow Killer and his men scouting the wall. Um, That's good so, news. Well, it's not good news that they're oh. scouting the wall. Because <laughs> yeah, sorry, I thought wall. you said he killed him. <laughs> yes, it's good news <laughs> that he killed Alfin Crow Killer. What side are you on? <laughs> It's not good news that he has that the Vance Raider has sent sent men to scout the wall. Not so much, and not good news that they ran into them. But he did kill Alfin Crow Killer, and you know he's he's one of the ones. So Jarman Buckwell was debating with uh, Thorin Smallwood at the beginning of the chapter when Thorin Smallwood said, "You know, it's nothing but sheep up there. Twenty thousand to one doesn't matter. We'll uh, you know we'll cut right through them." And Jarman Buckwell says, well, there's some goats and even some lions up there, possibly. And he mentions right, yeah, yeah. some of the more notorious wildlings. And one of the ones he mentions is Alfin Crow Killer. Yeah. So, But but clearly, Mansoider is actively probing the wall for places to attack. But he must already know. I mean, he knows which castles are occupied and which are abandoned. Right. So he knows where the most vulnerable points are. And the reason he knows that is because, in case anyone has forgotten, Mance Raider is a former brother of the Night's Watch who, right. as they say, flew down off the wall. Some of Alvin Crow killers, or Alvin Crow killed, uh, <laughs> some of his men escaped. So by now, Mance Raider probably knows that the Night's Watch is out in force, which might make him hunker down a bit more in the Frost Fangs and not come down unless he wants to engage with them, which actually strategically might not be a bad idea because, again, they're not protected by the 700 foot wall. <laughs> that. You know That's what else might uh, catch Mance Raider's attention is sitting on the fist of the first men with blazes going every night. 
<laughs> that might tip him off as well. <laughs> what is all that light down there on the top of the fist of the first men? So John reminisces about the sort of mutinous uh, discussion he heard the previous night between Chet and Lark and some others uh, talking disparagingly about the ranging. We would have been in this group, McKelly, you and I. <laughs> we uh, might have been, yeah. <laughs> John didn't hear it all because, remember, Chet is now working the kennels, so he's in charge of the dogs, and one of the dogs sort of got wind of uh, right. John and started to uh, growl and bark, so John had to bid a hasty retreat. Uh but they said, it's an old man's folly, this ranging. We'll find nothing but our graves in these mountains. And then Chet was heard to say, I'm not going there, I promise you. Someone replied, the old bear's not likely to give you a choice. And Chet said, might be, we won't give him one. Which, I mean, I can totally understand why John hasn't reported this. It's the kind of thing that people will say about their superior officers, you know? Yeah. It could all be bluster, you know? Yeah, it, I think the... I agree. I I agree absolutely. It it is people just could very very well just be people blowing off steam because yeah. I mean they've been roaming the wilderness with probably from the uh just the low level grunts perspective no clear objective not doing really anything useful exposed to danger on the daily and no clue when the mission will be deemed a success and called to an end. They're just kind of roaming around the woods and now they're sitting on top of this hill for days on end so you could definitely understand why they would be frustrated yeah but john is uh he john is hopeful that the arrival of the shadow tower men will lift the spirits of the the men from castle black (laughs) but i'm thinking they probably are having similar gripes and they're injured (laughs) <laughs> right. So, <laughs> but 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 actually, no. I I would think they would have less similar gripes because at least they just engaged with a dangerous wildling group. Well, yeah, know? that's true. That's true. They, you know, they, they they would feel like, whoa, I'm glad we came out here. That guy was going to find the weak spot in the wall, and we were going to be invaded. That's a good point. And now yeah. we've killed him. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, on the other hand, it it is kind of important information for Mormont to know if there's such mutinous talk. Just because they're very exposed out here, and that if that kind of talk continues to grow and spread, it could get become dangerous. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. Yeah, so it's a tough call, but I do understand why he hasn't said anything about it. I would certainly keep my ears open, though. Yeah, I mean they're they're certainly longing for home and yeah. scared, and uh, you know it's not unnatural for this these, especially among friends, you know, to gripe like that. Right. I mean, imagine what your employees say about you when they get together. I tell you what they say about me. They say amazing things about me. I'm sure. You know, I had a guy retire just recently, and I, in my last chat with him, I said, "You can be honest now." I said, "It can't hurt you now." <laughs> and he said, "He said I really like you as a manager." I was like, "Oh, okay." Well, that's you know, it's because you haven't left them sitting on a hill, a frozen hill, for days on end. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. The most important thing about good about being a manager is to not take people up onto a frozen hill. Right. <laughs> you don't do that. You're you know you're already 
50% of the way there. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, John brings uh, Corin and Mormont breakfast, and Corin is telling Mormont of the intel he learned from the captive. Uh, Mormont wants to warn Castle Black and the kings of the realm. Um, Corin thinks that informing the kings is a wasted effort because they're all too busy trying to claim the throne. Right. Um, he thinks it's better to get the Starks to raise the North. He's right and wrong. He is, the, yes. The North, generally speaking, is a better bet than uh-huh. the rest of the realm in terms of raising uh, help for the Night's Watch. However, the North is <clears throat> denuded. There is nobody <clears throat> yeah. left to help. There. I, I, and, I was uh, thinking about who, if they send a letter to Bran at Winterfell, who they could raise. I, this My list so far goes Hodor, Alebelly, <laughs> Poxy Tim, <laughs> that it really starts to fall off there. <laughs> Rickon and Shaggy Dog. <laughs> yes. I forgot Rickon and Shaggy. Of course I forgot Rickon and Shaggy Dog. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they are right that, that all of these kings and pretenders, their duty is to protect the realm, but, you know, the, typically the aristocracy care about themselves more than the realm. Let's be right. Honest. Yeah. And I mean, I was thinking about it. The North is obviously vulnerable right now to a wildling invasion because of the war. Everyone's in the Riverlands of the West. But if you if you think about it from a realm wide level, the the realm's not going to be affected by a few, even ten, twenty thousand wildlings invading the overall realm. It's not really going to make that much of an impact. Yeah, realm wide. It's, it's actually for all the kings who aren't Rob Stark. It's actually good news because it very much distracts Rob Stark, <laughs> right? <laughs> because good. even if it's like a quarter of a million, I mean, they just invade the north. They're not going to keep going south. They're yeah. going to stop when they find a plot of land that they can call their own. You know, you don't imagine that the folks in uh, you know the Reach or the Stormlands will be like, "Oh no, we must go help." The right the uh, night's watch right. because there's some wildlings coming across. It's not the it's not the original intent of the night's watch in the wall was not to keep this these random bands of wildlings from coming in to the realm. It's to protect from the others from the supernatural creatures on the other side of the wall. But that's your problem. You see, they are they have been. If if they even exist, they've been quiescent for a thousand years, and now they're known as Grumpkins and Snarks. Exactly. So nobody in the Reach is going to waste a single man helping to protect the wall from the possible invasion of some people who are just like the people on the other side of the wall from interfering with the North. No, no, no one from the Reach is going to send anyone. Yeah, not, I, I was not while the not while the realms in. Uh, at war. No, absolutely If the not realm was in complete peace, sure, send a hundred men, you know. Right. If it was at peace, Eddard Stark sitting uh, in Winterfell, I'm sure he would rally whatever northern troops he could. And uh, and, and he would get men from all over the, all over the, the realm. Because, because nobody would want to be the person who didn't send anyone when there was a serious threat. Yeah? Right. So they would all send a token force and they'd get enough men to actually help. Right. But which no one's going to do it now. Uh, which is what Mormont 
thinks might be happening with Sir Alistair Thorne. So Mormont wants to garrison some more of the castles, because right now there's only the three castles that uh, have any men at them. And he thinks that Alistair Thorne might be bringing fresh levies from King's Landing. Now, Thorne's primary mission when he left, when he was sent to King's Landing, was to take that animated hand, show it to uh, King and Council, prove that the Night's Watch needs reinforcements, because there's others stirring, and, uh, you know, bring back possibly as much as an army, or at least some some actual soldiers, a fighting force. I don't think that's what went down, though. We, we were there that <laughs> chapter when he showed, when he wanted to show the hand to uh, Tyrion, but unfortunately the hand had decayed because Tyrion left him sitting in a, in a old dingy room for so long yeah and then uh i mean he is getting janice slint but if janice slint doesn't get thrown overboard on the way north <laughs> yes. that is so the, that, you know the night's watch is, is in bad shape if their hopes yeah. lie uh with janice slint <laughs> uh, mormont doesn't think of uh yoran doesn't mention yoran at this point but that's because yoran's just bringing the usual dregs they're not going to make any difference he's he's banking he, he's banking his hopes on thorn bringing like you said actual soldiers to right Thor. he's gonna be disappointed um, there as well but you know i made me think about yoran i guess the nice watch would have no idea what had happened to yoran they might never unless someone who was there at that hold fast ends up at the Night's Watch, they may never know what happened to Yorin. Yeah. yeah. But then in in very How Molin-like fashion, Lord Commander Mormont says to Corn Halfhand, the wall itself is a formidable obstacle. Which is <laughs> <laughs> good that he occasionally remembers that because he seems to forget it. <laughs> Corn, um, the Halfhand should have said, yeah, I know. Why are we on this side of it? <laughs> I wonder if our merch, we should have a series of Hal Mullen sort of thing. Yes, so. that would be fun. This is a t-shirt, Hal Mullen. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Write that down. <laughs> they they reckon that since the villages that they found have been completely empty of men, women and children and animals, the plan is to evacuate them all. So how would they do that? They need to build a stair or a ramp, but that what? just feels like what? That, when he that said that, I was like, like... building. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if you've got ten thousand men, I mean, but that's yes, but that's a seven hundred foot ramp foot and or. Stair, Can you imagine yes. how far back you'd have to start to get a seven hundred foot ramp that wouldn't be too steep? To but are they the... are they actually thinking about cutting the ramp into the face like a sort of switchback? Oh, switchbacking! Yeah, face. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Gosh, but I mean, it's still, it's it's a huge project. But I mean, if you've got thousands of men, it is doable. Right. Yeah, I, it is doable, but oh, the amount of time it would take. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Mormont thinks, well, then, that seems very challenging. So more than like, they'll try and go beneath through one of the gates. Which Mance Raider would have knowledge of, yeah. Right, exactly. Now, but... When I was reading this part, I just kept thinking to myself, Mormont saw the dead rise with his own eyes. Yes. He watched Othar rise, and so he knows there are others stirring north of the wall. Yes. So why does he want so 
badly to stop these men, women, and children from finding safety. He's basically, on one hand, he's condemning them to a fate with uh, out there with others and and White Walkers. Yes. On the other hand, yes. they're just adding to the mass, <clears throat> adding to the army of these others and White Walkers if he leaves them out there. Right. That that feels like the bigger danger because, I mean, you've, you, you could think of this as a simple sort of two choices. One choice is you allow, let's say, 200,000, because we have no idea how many it is, let's say 50,000, 50,000 people to cross the wall and live in peace on the safe side of the wall for the winter and then with the promise that they go back after when winter ends or you burgeon the forces of evil on the north side of the wall by 50,000 because you condemn them to death you know (laughs) yeah i get that they don't acknowledge a king and that's a problem i i get that that they don't have this they don't live by the same rules that those south of the wall live by but that doesn't feel like it should be a like a, a complete barrier to yes, trying to a find a, a workable situation. Maybe meet with Mance, discuss what Mance has in mind, and possibly see if you can come to some sort of agreement. There's plenty of cat. No, like you said, we don't know how many there are, but how many wildlings there are. But we know that there's uh, sixteen castles that are currently sitting empty along the wall, and they've got a lot of territory south of the wall that's dedicated to the Night's Watch that they probably don't have the, the manpower. The Queen's Gift. Yes. They, they don't have the uh, people to properly utilize. So it seems like something could be worked oh, you out. Mean, you mean actually invite them over to man the wall? The Night's Watch is a very dire short supply of warm bodies. There's They're going to wow. be a lot more cold bodies north of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, so i i don't know i i guess it no yeah but but you want the one thing is i will say that the end of this chapter justifies all of this nonsense for okay. me because i've i'm with you 100 percent to this point it's like why are you trying to stop innocent people well you know relatively innocent people from getting to safety but there's this thing if man's raider is finding some magical way to bring down the wall yes then that's the real danger because then but but then the flip side of that is mans raider let's assume mans raider is not a lunatic or evil or anything he knows and and he's gathering the people of the, the wildlings together because of the others right i mean that's one of the things we think is happening i mean we're just projecting because we've never met him right but it's, it's certainly are, the timing fits right they're clustering together because the others have risen and there's real danger. Would he, as someone from south of the wall, actually want to destroy the wall at this moment in time, creating the gap through which the others could come? The wall was created to keep those others out, and he's going to bring it down at this moment? Yeah, that's a solid point. And and as I think about it, we know a little bit of the mindset of the wildlings from Osha. She has said to Bran multiple times, your brother's marching the wrong way. There's wrong a, way. Yeah. you know, there's, there are magical things like others on the other side of the wall that are stirring and he's marching in the wrong direction. So we do get an idea that that very well may be the reason why they're doing right. these things right now. Osher is just a wildling and she knows the danger. Man's Raider must be acutely aware of this danger. Yes. So, so then, but, but, but if, if this rumor 
that he's gathering something magical to bring down the wall is true, then they do need to stop him. But the best way to stop him, of course, is to invite him through. Right. Yes. Not to fight him, but to to invite him through. It's how it's the same way that uh, Dorne was brought into the realm by Darren the Second through peaceful negotiation, not through um, military. Um, yeah, and like you said, I mean, I mean, these people as they come through the wall, if if you were to invite them all through the wall, they, obviously they could help farm and what have you. But many of them would look for, you know work and the night's watch is a great choice for them you know maybe you could have seasonal night's watch you know we have the the winter members of the night's <laughs> right. watch in the summer we go back north of the wall yeah sure sure i mean there's there's just got to be some they should at least try some sort of negotiation i i would think but yeah. you know yeah. but where but, you're getting but, this from this idea of breaking it is because corn half half hand says oh they're not going over or under they're going to go through it and that that's why they're in the frost fangs because they're looking for some magical thing that will allow them to get through the wall but that's possible i mean that's what seems to be the intel he's getting but i'm just not sure why you would bring everyone your women children livestock to search for this magical item cuz mormont says i thought they were just gathering to get out of the sight of the night's right. watch, which right. makes more sense than maybe it's a little of both. They're gathering right. out of that, the eyes of the night's watch. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. And, and maybe the magical thing is actually just knowledge. Maybe they're pooling the knowledge, you know, maybe between them, they already have what they need. They just need to pool that knowledge. And oh sort yeah. Of, Could be. You know uh, what they say. And, and, knowledge is power. Right. And, and, and the other thing is, once it let's assume it is some magical device, you know, the magical hand grenade of Antioch. <laughs> the, <wall. laughs> the um the having everyone together at that moment is probably a good idea because the thing is when you do create a hole in the wall, you gotta get through quickly because you'd imagine the night's watch would be like, Did you hear that? <laughs> we should probably go and investigate. I felt some rumbling off two, to the west. Was that a third horn or was that a short one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, so Corin says that he's searching for something. And we did last John chapter find that a ranger or some brother of the night's watch hid some things. But, it, you know. It does seem hard to wrap your head around that they would be looking for a cracked and broken warhorn and a few handfuls of dragonglass weapons. That that that's the object of de- desire that they seek. But oh, you you think that the the horn might be sort of like Battle of Jericho, sort of biblical thing? Well, I'm just saying they're searching and someone hid something. Uh. But the, uh, certainly, at first glance, it doesn't seem like those things would would in any yeah. way be useful for what they want. We know Lewin has a handy collection of dragon glass arrowheads and stuff. So unless that's somehow going to get him through the wall, uh, you know, I don't know. Imagine imagine if dragon glass horns would break the wall. You'd have got to imagine that Bran the Builder would have been like, and whatever you do, do not, <laughs> do not make a horn out of dragon glass. <laughs> So, but yeah, this, place um, is, this is indestructible with one minor flaw. 
Yeah, everyone's got to have that self-destruct button somewhere around, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So Corin's proposal is for three groups of 15 men to take the three passes into the Frost Fangs, the Milk Water, the Skirling Pass, and the Giant Stairs. Um, Jarm and Buckwell will be the leader of the scouts, will take one, Thorin Smallwood another, and Corin himself the third. Um, Mormont's loath to risk that many men. And then Corin is pretty... pretty a pretty tough guy. He says, the men of the Night's Watch can only die for the realm. Why else wear black cloaks? Which is, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty brave and pretty sort of like, you know, yeah. tough talk. But it's also kind of like, re- kind of casual with people's lives, if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other side of the coin there, yeah. He's, <laughs> he definitely comes off as a pretty bad man, you know. He, he's t- he seems tough as nails. He's already shown that he can successfully uh, lead men through battle. He just had a three to one victory against Alpha and Crow Killer and his men. We don't know the circumstances that there might have only been like Alpha and Crow Killer might have had like ten men. So, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you imagine so, Corin after the battle is turned into his own men. He's saying three to one, three to one. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the stats we're going with. <laughs> but. You know, he then says, if we die, it gives time for the brothers south of the wall to prepare for battle, which to me seems a bit like flawed logic, because it'd be a heck of a lot easier to prepare for battle with 300 of the best fighters in the Night's Watch, not just, oh, well, if we all die, at least the the scrubs left back on the other side of the wall can can know that they're coming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, we're in that whole what are they doing here? Right. <laughs> but 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 now I'm worried because because this whole magical thing, now I'm worried because that wall cannot afford to fall. The the realm needs this wall at this moment. So Right. I, I do understand sending scouting parties into the Frostfanks to find out. Absolutely. Maybe you find something critical and you can report back or you can stop it somehow. Absolutely. Now, yes, sending scouting parties, I'm totally on board with. Finding out what what they're searching for, That there's definitely some sense there. The other 200 men just sitting on the fist of the first men waiting to see if Mance Raider's going to come out of the Frost Fangs with 10,000 people might not might not be necessary but yeah you know but you're right they do need if they if they is looking for if he has some magical way which is a little bit surprising that these men of the night's watch buy this idea of a magical way to break through the wall they saw the dead rise mckelly let they me remind did. you you're right they did they did the first time i see the dead rise i will stop being such a skeptic about all kinds of things <laughs> Good point. (laughs) All right. Do you have any background information? I do have some background information. So, Mormont and Corn Halfhand. I'm going to interject pedantry during this background, by the way. Just FYI. Okay. I got got pedantry all over this chapter. (laughs) You do. Uh, So, Mormont and Corn Halfhand discuss the Night's Watch castles that can be manned to help prevent the wildlings from getting past the wall. And John points out here in this chapter that the Night's Watch have a bunch of unused castles. There's actually 19 in total, and 
Only 17 have ever been manned at once, and these days only three are occupied, East Watch by the Sea, Castle Black, and the Shadow Tower. Now, the, the castles mentioned in this chapter as possibilities for reoccupying are Greyguard, Stone Door, Long Barrow, Ice Mark, and Deep Lake. Mormont first considers Greyguard. It's the fourth westernmost stronghold, with a castle named Sentinel Stand between it and the Shadow Tower, and then only West Watch by the bridge is further west than the Shadow Tower. Korn says, Greyguard is mostly collapsed and proposes Stone Door as a better option. Stone Door is next in the line of procession east from Greyguard, so that makes some sense. And then east beyond Stone Door is Hoarfrost Hill, and it must not be in great shape either because Corin also mentions Icemark and Deep Lake as possibilities, but never mentions Hoarfrost Hill, and they're both further east than Hoarfrost Hill is. He also doesn't mention the Night Fort, which lies between Icemark and Deep Lake, and possibly that's because it's so huge and was originally abandoned due to general maintenance costs, so maybe he figures you know, no point in even trying to get that one back up and running. Now, all of these that I've mentioned so far have been west of Castle Black between it and the Shadow Tower. Long Barrow gets a mention, and it's on the east side of Castle Black. It's maybe slightly past halfway if you were traveling from Castle Black to East Watch by the Sea, and it's between two castles called Rhymegate on the western side and the Torches on the eastern side. Okay, it's Long Barrow. Long Barrow is my pedantry here. There's, you know where the Man's Raiders army is they're in the frost bank, right <laughs> they're in the yeah. westernmost yes. part of this you don't have to go manning an eastern castle it doesn't make any sense you'd be much better off running rangers sort of north south from castle black to see if they try to head east sure soon as one of them says hey i saw an army of like two hundred thousand people heading <laughs> east heading then you east. think all right Let's move those people we just manned the western castles east. But yes. don't man the eastern tower now. That makes no sense. That's that's a solid point. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But you would it would certainly... take far fewer men to do that ranging to, to keep an eye on it than it would to man the tower. Absolutely. To man the castle. And you would think traveling with a group that large, you would notice movement. Oh. Right. I mean, how do you sneak past? I mean, I mean, obviously they could go way north of the wall and not be seen, but I mean, it wouldn't be hard to keep an, you know, if you were, if you walked along, we, we've had this discussion before, if you walked along and a couple of hundred thousand people had just walked across your path, you'd notice. <laughs> There'd be signs, telltale signs. <laughs> the back row of the 200,000 have got like twigs and they're sort of covering all of these footprints. Come on. <laughs> Co- covering the mammoth footprints. <laughs> yeah, that's you. that was a good pedantry and we're not even to pedantry yet. I know, I know. We're at comparison with the television show. So um, Corin, Corin arrives at the Fist of the First Men. He has not been in a fight and doesn't have that same recent intel. Uh, the wildlings... Where they are is closer to the Shadow Tower than it is to Castle Black, as we've been trying to sort of indicate. So he already knew where Mance was uh, gathering. Uh, 
there's no discussion about how the wildlings are going to get through the wall, or nor a, nor any quest for something magical to destroy the wall. The bigger concern is that Mance is revealing their tactics and weaknesses, and that might help the wildlings succeed. You know, sort of like he knows where the weak points are. Right. The reason for the small parties heading into the Frost Fangs is to enter Mance's camp and murder the man himself. That's kind of the strategic idea here, because oh. Corin's convinced that if the wild, the wilding armies would then fall apart without Mance, uh, okay, the raiding force has to be small to get in. Like from the frost, from the fist of the first men, they can see fires in the frost fangs, which are the lookouts. So if they came in force, they would be spotted straight away. Right. But a small group might be able to get in there. Yeah, Thorin Smallwood. Uh, yeah. Corin does not recognize John. Um, John asks to be part of Corin's party uh, heading into the Frost Fangs. And Corin agrees because John killed the White. That's why he agrees. He doesn't know Jon Snow as a Stark. But oh. knowing that he killed the White makes him think he'd be a good person to have on his team. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I, I like. I like Corin picking John better than John volunteering. I, I like the way the book's done it because uh, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. it just I, I like that John isn't like over eager. Like yeah, pick me, pick me, pick me. Like he was early on in the story. He's a yeah. more seasoned vet now. Yeah. Uh, Ghost doesn't appear anywhere in the scene, and Corin doesn't talk about Ghost. Oh. They they don't show the direwolf unless they have to. Right, he's, yes. He's a CGI, CGI. cast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, Pedantry Corner, here, here's my thing about so, all this. Yes, you you mentioned that uh, that I had a... Um, I misspoke in the summary. Yes, in, in the summary. So, McKelly wrote the summary this week. We, 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 we take turns. Usually, it's McKelly because I'm lazy. Um <laughs> And he, and and it was slightly misleading what you said because the you made it sound like it was a sentry on the fist of the first men who blew the horn, having seen something. You know why I said okay. that? Because that's what uh-huh. I thought happened. <laughs> right, right. But I don't believe that that's the case. I believe that the horn was sounded by Corin Halfhand's men because there's one okay. sentence that gives this away. I mean, and, and it could be either, right? I mean, that's the point. It could be a sentry seeing the men announcing, I see something, right. or it could be the arriving party announcing that they're arriving. Either way, it makes sense. But John says that it was on the edge of hearing, and it feels like if you're on top of the fist of the first men, you, it would not be on the edge of hearing. You would annoy everyone and wake everybody up by blasting your horn. Unless you're a really sound sleeper. Right. <laughs> it's so, just been on the edge of ear. <laughs> so I think it was Corin's men blasting the horn. Okay. Okay. Which makes me think, why were you even slightly nervous that there would be a second horn? Because right. if it's wildlings, why are they using your semaphore to announce that they're coming? <laughs> I mean, Mance Raider... Was a was a member of the Night's Watch. He knows the rules. Maybe he's like, you know, a stickler. When we attack, I want you to blast the horn twice so they know you're coming. Totally fair. <laughs> Maybe no, he no. figures it's like a, a sports team, you know, like uh, how they they would change their cadence or hand signals if they've got a player from the from their team on the opposing team. Oh, clever. Clever. Um, so the one thing I will say, there is a possibility that Corin or one of Corin's men was 
running for his life ahead of a huge army of wildlings, and he might have blasted the horn twice. <laughs> right, yes. Right. Sure. Okay. But, but I will say to that, that's a waste of time. If you're within earshot of the Fist of the First Men when you blast the horn and you've got wildlings on your tail, the people on the Fist of the First Men will see that army of wildlings chasing you fairly <laughs> soon. You don't have to announce it, because by announcing it, you also announce to the ch- army of wildlings chasing you exactly where you are, you know? Yes, that's a good point. Yeah. And literally, one blast would be enough, because it would be alert everyone. Hey, did you hear that? Let's look out. And you'd be like, oh, he is a member of the Night's Watch. He probably should have blasted a second blast, because there's an army behind him, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So all I'm saying is there was never going to be a second blast and they should have all relaxed. (laughs) Could I was just thinking about this while you were talking. Could it be that the century for the Castle Black uh, group on the Fist of the First Men are out further, out not on the top of the hill? You know, they're out there, so their blast was further away. You know, that's okay. Yes, I'll give you that. But all right. So when did they blast? As soon as they saw someone coming over the hill, they were like, <laughs> <laughs> and then they wait and they're like, wait a second. I guess those are members of the Night's Watch. I don't know. It just feels like, first of all, you need to not be on the edge of hearing. I mean, I guess the edge of hearing is where you need to be, but you need to be. Slightly within the edge of hearing. Right. Otherwise, you're blasting the horn's not going to do any good to anyone. Yeah, especially since there's probably a lot of older, not so healthy men of the Night's Watch whose hearing is not so great. Oh. <laughs> what was that again? <laughs> was that a blast? <laughs> or did you have gas? <laughs> okay, so anyway, that's my pedantry on this one. I, 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 I think I've got a point. I really do. I do too. Okay. News and notes. And and I think the moral of that story is I need to read my the eight times through a chapter more closely. It was it was difficult to parse. It was not easy, but it was that on the edge of hearing made me think, well, it's Corin's men that are blasting the horn. Not, but you are not wrong. It could be a scout out in the field. But honestly, why send people down? You've got the vantage point. Right. That's yes. where you put your lookouts. That was what was preventing me from saying my idea there is because then they'd be down in the forest and they would not have a very good vantage point i tell you what the other problem with this whole system is right so you've got you've got your lookouts looking right so you got johnny and fred they're sitting on the thing looking out okay and they're like wait can you see is that oh it and but they're separate they're not standing next to each other they're like 50 yards apart along the, you know, perimeter. I know where you're going with this. Johnny goes, <laughs> and Fred, just a second later, goes, <laughs> everyone's like, ah! <laughs> Tear the Shadow Tower men to pieces. <laughs> exactly. It's a terrible scheme. <laughs> <laughs> they gotta just give one guy a horde. <laughs> yeah. The other guy Freaking has to blow horde. a different horde to alert him that he needs a horde. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. It's like a quieter horn. I need the horn. Oh man! And then, and then, like the urgency of the horn. He has a code for that. Like, I need a horn. Stat. Oh, we make ourselves laugh. Uh, we do. 
So news and notes. News and notes. Well, basically the the news and the notes are that um, our GOH our GOH shirt sales are coming along. We're we're, mm-hmm. we're getting some some sales of our shirts. So far, there's only t-shirts out there, but we are uh, we're working on some other stuff. I've been showing Simon some design options for sweatshirts and things of that nature. But um, yeah. Just just a reminder that uh, our merchandise store is out there. It's ghostsofheronhall.threadless.com. And the link will be in the show notes of this episode. I'm working on backfilling all of the previous episodes. But if you're listening to this one, just go to the show notes. There's a link to it in there. There's also a link to all of our other stuff as well. But uh, yeah, go check it out. See what you think. Hey, sounds like a really great holiday gift option for your mm-hmm. uh, friends mm-hmm. and family mm-hmm. um we got a review from uh apple Podcasts, scubas in pink which i like that name love it my new favorite podcast thank you hey. short and to the point that's right we love it too yes. thank you very much scubas in pink thank you very much all right in conclusion uh really they should stop this ranging Let's send these. Uh, let's send Corin's three parties of fifteen into the Frostfangs. That makes sense. But then let's hightail the rest of them out of here. Although I have to say, the if if any of these forty-five were to come back, they might only get as far as the Fist of the First Men. So you may need to leave a small garrison here to perhaps send a crow back to Castle Black with the news. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I mean. I'm not saying just abandon these 15 men and be like, okay, we're out of here. But maybe you start the oh, process. Sorry, did I get the numbers wrong? Was it three groups of 15 or... Yeah, no, you're right. One, three groups of 15. Uh, three groups of 15, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mormont, he says it would take a month to build a stair or a ramp or something, which I would be very interested in seeing how, how that works out. Um, and that it would take a year to cut through the uh the wall without some sort of magical device helping but it would be just about impossible to do any of those things if brothers of the night's watch were standing on top of the wall dropping stuff down on them now you wouldn't want to drop boiled uh oil that or would anything just help like that. <laughs> yes <laughs> totally be helping their cause but there's plenty of other things that you could do to deter them from 700 feet up and there's not a whole lot that they could do to stop you because you'd be very hard pressed to accurately shoot an arrow 700, 700 feet up feet without fear up. of it coming right back down on <laughs> your own people. <laughs> so, Good so it just seems like there's, especially with your pedantry about not needing to put much focus on the Eastern side of the wall at this point. Right. Right. It seems like bring these, most of these 300 men back and, you know, man, a, a couple of the castles in between the Shadow Tower and Castle Black and, and run rotations through them. And, uh, you know, that should be enough to prevent... Because what could happen, they could sneak... They could sneak... A, the Wildlings could sneak a party over, you know, a, a party of 20 over, yeah. and they could possibly take out a garrison of uh, one of the other castles. And then, you know, if they're not running regular rotations then that might give time for more people to get over. But if you're running rotations on yeah, the yeah. regular, that shouldn't be an issue. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we understand Mormont's desire, the curiosity to find out what's happening, but 
you know, we know where the attack is coming. It's not like they're going to march north. Right. They're coming south. Yes. And Mormont said the original plan of this ranging was to find out what's going on north of the wall. He also mentioned finding out what happened to Benjamin Stark, but I think even he and John are starting to give up on that hope. Right. So, right. But hey, uh, maybe John is about to uh, get that grand adventure he's always been wanting. The whole reason he wanted to go to the Night's Watch in the first place. Yep. Uh, the Cor- Corin did say they were likely to die. <laughs> on this trip so i'm not sure i'm not sure john's making a great decision going along but you know teens will be teens yes yes but but the good news is he is a he is a point of view character and we know that they are safe there's nothing could possibly go oh wait oh wait i was just about to agree with you and then i was recalling an issue back in king's landing with a uh certain it was an aria chapter as i remember it was yes she survived Uh, she did so why is manson the frostfang with all these people so they're definitely assembling out of view of the night's watch or but are they also looking for some magical way to get through the war i but but actually the way you just described it to me was like probably better than and and again i don't think Mans will want to destroy the wall because i think he wants to get away from the others too you make a good point. Yeah. Yes. I like I like the idea of a army a, a small group of grappling hook soldiers climbing the wall assassinating everybody on the wall at that point climbing back down the other side and opening the gate and yes. then everyone gets everyone piles through as quick as they can. That that makes that's why they need these 300 men back so that they yeah. can start running regular Right. Uh, to stop these people from saving themselves. <laughs> well, then that's the whole moralistic issue here, isn't it? Why are they sentencing? They know there's others on the other side and they know that they're stirring. They're sentencing yeah. these people to either death or to add to the force of or the both. Other, or both. Yes. <laughs> like if you're if you're one, you're the other, I guess in this situation. <laughs> All right. As always, you can reach us at ghost.harrenhall at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at ghostharrenhall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Discord. And don't forget our uh, merchandise store. And if uh, you wouldn't mind going out and please leaving us a five-star rate and or a glowing review, it really means so much to us, and it really helps us out a lot. And um, basically, we just really appreciate it. And if you do go out and leave us a five-star rate and a glowing review, we will certainly do our best to read it in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.